The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2017 New Year's Conference. More information about New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. My name is Eric Lonergan. I've been on staff for quite a while. I've got two children, and they are here at the conference. I don't know where they are at the moment, but uh, they're lovely little girls married to Holly. We've been on staff for a really long time. Um, I'm the area director downtown for the Minnesota region. So, thank you for the shout-outs. Um, so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dive right into this stuff because I really do want to get through it. Maybe share a little bit of personal stories that, that might help you guys out and then try to talk about these things uh, with, with some Q&A if, if we get a chance. So, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the phrase, anxious for nothing. Who's ever heard that phrase before? Anxious for nothing. So typically, that's what you hear. So I decided to do a little play on words there, anxious for something. So why, why that title? Um, because the, the reality is, we all want anxious for nothing, right? That's what we kind of want to live our lives by. But the reality is that what, what, what part of what I want to tell you guys is that's not possible. Okay, so if you're here and, and you are, are trying to figure out like, hey, I just want to get rid of anxiety. It really stinks. You know, I, I just dealt a lot with that over the course of this. You guys all had finals. So what, a couple weeks ago, you went through finals and you're like, I got really anxious. It kept me up at night. Uh, when, when I'm out to go out with that significant other, like Moochie was talking, or I guess... Paul and Sam were talking about the whole dating thing. I'd rather do the Facebook thing because it produces a lot of anxiety for me to do this in in person, face-to-face. If you're looking to sort of just get rid of this emotion that you have and and cast to the side, this seminar isn't going to be all that helpful because as a human being, that's really not possible. And that's part of what I want to talk about. I do think we can get a better... A perspective about our anxiety and how to handle it more biblically and how to walk with God through it, okay? So that's kind of the direction we're going. I, I'm reading a book right now, The Hobbit. Some of you might have heard of that before. So I'm reading it kind of ahead. I, I'm reading it at my own pace, and then I read it out loud to my daughter. And uh, we just read the other night about Gollum, and uh, I was a little bit afraid because my daughter is... She's seven years old, and she, you know, she's got a sister who's three. She, she just turned three, and, like, my daughter still watches Bubble Guppies. And some of you are like, Bubble Guppies? That's good if you're kind of like, Bubble Guppies, because if you're watching Bubble Guppies, we should have a separate conversation after this. Um, but she, she just likes very non-threatening things. I can't get her to typically listen to stories or watch movies that have anything threatening in them. And I was really afraid for her to listen and hear about Gollum because he's not the most, you know, invitational character. He's got the bulbous eyes and he's nasty, as you may have seen him on screen. So I'm reading this, The Hobbit with her, and I got, there's a metaphor I think that's helpful here. So at one point, in case you're not familiar with the story, there's a bunch of dwarves, and then there's Bilbo. Bilbo is not a dwarf. He is a oh, hobbit, yes. thus the name. Uh, so they're on this journey to go find this treasure that was... Now, some of you out there who are like total 
geeks, nerds, with, with the whole Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, f- correct me later, don't do it now, judge me inside internally. But they're, they're on this journey to rediscover the treasure that was lost to the dwarves that's guarded by a dragon named Smog. I don't know if I'm saying it right. Smog. Whatever. So they're going to, to get this treasure, and they know that that's the destination that they want to go to. And so they, they are confronted with this character whose name I'm forgetting now. Don't, again, for those who know it, that's great. Um, but he's trying to describe for them that they're going to have to go through the Mirkwood Forest, okay? Now, I know I got that part right. The Mirkwood Forest is, but it's going to be really difficult. It's going to be really challenging. It's going to be treacherous. And he, he tells them, he warns them that this is going to be a very difficult journey. And he says, you cannot stray from the path through Mirkwood Forest. Whatever you do, do not stray from the path. Because once you leave the path, you'll never find it. It's somehow elusive. So he stresses this. And Gandalf stresses, stresses this to the hobbits, uh, sorry, to the dwarves plus the hobbit, when he kind of bails on them, and they don't know exactly why. And so he also has this word for them right before he bails. And because they're, they're basically asking this question, well, if this place is so treacherous, if I don't want to go through it, they're looking out ahead at it and they're like, this is just really scary. I don't want to go this path. And this is what he says. Gandalf responds to them by saying this, there are no safe paths in this part of the world. Remember, you are over the edge of the wild now and in for all sorts of fun wherever you go. And, and that, that's kind of like a metaphor about anxiety. There are no paths. There's no special pills. You, you can take, there is pharmacology to deal with things like anxiety, but it won't eliminate it. Not completely. There, there are no formulas to solve things like anxiety. And if, if that's what you're here to do, and I, I got to be honest with you guys, I felt anxious in you guys coming here <laughs> to give you that. Because I think that's what a, a, lot, a lot of you want. You don't want to walk in reality. What you want to do is walk away from those kind of distressing feelings and, and sort of have this easy button to push. And at the very least, what I'm here to tell you is there is no easy button. There's no easy button to push. You've got a path, and you can't stray from that path. And that path is walking and moving toward God in this. So, and that, that starts to get at why this title um, Part of, part of the other reason why I wanted to give this title is that I think that what we've done a lot, what I've, you, I'm bringing you in on a journey that I'm walking through as it pertains to understanding anxiety in a biblical sense. And what I've, where I've come from is thinking that anxiety is bad, period. It's just sin. It's always sinful, and that's just the way it is. And I I do think there, there are things about anxiety that we need to repent from, but I also think that it's intrinsic to being human. And in that sense, because we've so often associated sin with anxiety, we also have shame with it. And I want to dispel that shame for you, because some of you live within shame because like all human beings, but particularly Christians and particularly American, Western, individualistic Christians, we, we think 
we try to behavior manage our entire lives, right? And we're going we're gonna to get into this in, in the future here, but we take things like do not be anxious and we put a period on that. We take it completely out of context. And then when we're feeling anxious, we just think we're in sin, we're in sin, we're in sin. And, and I want to dispel that because I don't think that's the case at all. Um, let, me, let me just give you a couple examples. I'm sure you're all familiar with the Yerkes-Dotson human performance curve. So there's this bell curve. There's this study that was done. It's, it's empirically backed up. There's this bell curve, okay? So picture uh, anxiety going one way and performance going another way. And what, it's basic, what it would basically say is, take an elite athlete, for instance. If an elite athlete has no anxiety leading up to a peak performance, the Olympics are about to happen, right? So say you're a ski jumper. If you're not anxious about going over the edge of that that jump, how are you going to perform? Bad. Now, if you're overly anxious, if, if, you, if you're like knees knocking together, you, don't even want, you won't even go down the thing to, to do the jump, you're also going to perform ba- badly. But if there, there's a certain level of anxiety that gives you peak performance, and this is empirically proven, and that's not just for ski jumping, it's for anything, taking tests, giving talks, There should be a certain measure of butterflies in order for you to perform well. Or or just take, for instance, crossing a busy road, right? None of you are insane enough to close your eyes and just walk across one of these streets out here. So when you go to cross the street, your your senses are heightened, you're more alert, and this is the way God's wired you physically is to respond to stimulus in your environment in a healthy way and and that includes having some anxiety it's what it means to be human or just try and come to talk to me after this i'll be taking care of my kids i have a three-year-old daughter try to talk to me and have a coherent conversation while i'm watching my three-year-old daughter it's not going to happen because she's going to be trying to get into everything Moochie said it, right? He, t- he says he's got a four-year-old. If that kid was left alone in one day, he'd be dead. It's, as a parent, you have anxiety. You have to look out for your children. It's woven. The way Dan Allender says it, I'm going to quote from him a lot, and I'll tell you in a minute some of the books you guys can pick up. But Dan Allender talks about our lives are a story. And in any good story, you have drama. And drama is what makes life worth living. And God has wired us to respond to things with fear and, and with anxiety at points because life is drama. We're made for it. You were made for these things. Now, there is a sense in which these things can get out of whack, and we're going to get there. But again, my point in bringing all this up is to try and dispel shame, to try and say that you, you can't just behavior manage your life away and try to stuff all these things. Um, and here, here's a couple other disclaimers. Um, the ultimate goal with fear or anxiety is to reorient it toward God. That's what I mean when I say anxious for something. What we're aiming for is to reorient our fear toward God. The fear of the Lord is a theme that's throughout Scripture. And only when we see fear, or only when we fear God, 
will our fears in the world be put in their proper place? How else do you explain this? Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, I've spent a lot of time thinking about how is that comforting? How is that comforting to you? Don't be afraid of those who kill your body but cannot kill your soul. Rather, fear the one who can throw both body and soul into hell. How does that make me run to him, to God? We're going to talk about that today. Um, and, and, and note this as well. I was reading an article. You don't have to read an article in the New York Times to, to figure this out. But this is just helpful to note. This is coming from a doctor, a psychologist. She says, Anxiety is a natural reaction to stress. It's not necessarily pathological or dangerous. Uh, There's a point where it becomes a condition, and the way we separate those has to do with the level of persistence, severity, distress, and if it's impacting day-to-day function. So clearly, there is such a thing as an anxiety disorder. There's some of you who might be on medication for that right now. And I hope you hear more than ever the, the whole idea that there's not shame associated with those things. There's just reality because of the fall of serotonin levels, of cortisol levels being out of whack because of the fall. The, here's an interesting reality. I don't know how many are familiar with epigenetics, but this is true. There's research on this. The, those, there are children who are in utero while 9-11 happened, okay, they were in utero, they tested their cortisol levels once they were infants. They had no time to react. They, they hadn't been alive for a period of time for this to occur, and their cortisol levels were higher than normal once they were born, which means their genetics were influenced by the environment. Had nothing to do with choices they made. But because of the the storm that happened of depravity with the the two towers falling, babies in utero were affected by that. Their genes were forever altered. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't choices to be made, circumstances and trusting in God that can shape the way that they're going to live the rest of their lives. But, But I bring that up just to say that the... The levels are complex and multi-layered when it comes to anxiety. It's not as simple as believe this and you'll be fixed. It's much more complex than that. Kurt Thompson is a psychologist and author. You can get one of his books out in the bookstore called The Anatomy of the Soul. I'd highly recommend that. That's a really helpful book. He's also written The Soul of Shame, another very helpful book. He talks about this. You could... Watch a YouTube video about this that would probably give you a better synopsis. But he basically says that one of the difficulties in treating any mental disorder is the tendency for us to isolate the disorder, be it anxiety, depression, OCD, etc., and act as though it operates independently from our life story. Right? If we say, for instance, I have GAD, general anxiety disorder, 
we're tempted to compartmentalize our problem. But the reality is that there are disorders, these disorders are multi-layered and not separate from our brains, our real choices, our physiology, our life circumstances, or our spiritual interaction with God. There are so many layers that go on when it comes to things like anxiety or depression or any other mental disorder. It's not as simple as, here's a label, this is what I am. We make choices. We have people that surround us that influence these things. We have life circumstances. I just moved for the third time in six or seven years, and it absolutely turns my life upside down. I couldn't even find a pair of shoes. I don't know where they went. They were really nice shoes. They're Italian leather. Somebody bought them for me. And I was going to, I did a wedding a couple weeks ago. I don't know where my shoes went. I was like, where did my shoes go? I, I, I moved. Like stuff went from some place to another place. And I thought, I, I mean, you put it all in boxes and somehow it disappeared. It's like they snuck away. Like that sock that sneaks away out of the dryer. There, You're like, how did one sock do that? Jerry Seinfeld has a really funny bit on that, but anyway, um, so here, here's where we're going. This is, that was all by way of introduction. This is what we're going to do. <laughs> uh, feel your fear, struggle with worry, remember God's power and presence. That's how we're going to talk about being anxious for something. Feel your fear, struggle with worry, remember God's power and presence. And I'm going to look at Psalm 55. So if you want to look at something with me, turn to Psalm 55. We're going to look at that. And I'm going to try to walk through this. And if you guys have questions afterward, we can hopefully talk about some of those. So this is David writing this psalm. Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord. And we're just going to look at a few verses at a time. We're not going to look at every single verse with incredible depth. And I've gotten so much of what I'm going to share here. Even this outline comes from this book, The Cry of the Soul. It's, it's incredibly helpful. And again, like I said, I, I recommend Kurt Thompson's The Anatomy of the Soul. All these books are really helpful when it comes to dealing with anxiety and learning and understanding more, especially about how our brains and neuroscience interacts with spirituality and things like that. So let, let me pray, and then we'll dive into this. Father, I just, I just pray that if there are those in here who are feeling anxious, maybe even right now, about what they've heard from the front, I pray that your presence and your love and your mercy would just be poured down right now. I pray that we would understand how our physical bodies interact with spiritual realities and that there'd be a profound sense of peace that transcends understanding, but that this wouldn't be something that we would see as something we have to earn, but that's just given the greater and greater we understand how, how much you loved us and how that was carried out on the cross by you sending your son to die in our place. I pray that we'd see that as the pinnacle of your love toward us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so feel your fear. Psalm 55, cast your burden on the Lord. We're just going to read 1 through 5 here. This is David. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. 
I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked, for they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. Just notice the gut level honesty the psalmist has. My heart is in anguish within me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan. Terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. Horror overwhelms me. So notice what David's not doing. At this point, he's not doing what I said earlier, most 21st century American Christians do, which is try to manage his behavior. He's not just saying to himself, stop it, which is no one's like walking around out loud saying that you guys don't like sit there studying for your finals. And every time you feel anxious, you say, stop it. But in your head, in a sense, you do, or you at least wish away what you were feeling. But this is, listen to what Dan Allender says coming from the cry of the soul. How do we get orientation back when our vision is blurred by fear? The answer boils down to feel fear. If you avoid your fear, it will turn dark and destructive. Instead, allow it to stalk you without trying to wave it away by reciting pious platitudes or distracting yourself in busyness. Some of you are incredibly busy, um, and all of it is a cover-up. It's a cover-up to feel anything. Or maybe you're addicted to something. Or maybe you go from relationship to relationship. And it's just a cover because you don't really want to feel what you feel. But what the psalmist does here is he's just honest before the Lord. And, and what I want to encourage you guys to know is he sees you and he longs to hear you. And you're safe. You're completely safe with God to just be honest with him. But how many of our prayers sound like this? When I gather in our circles and huddles, I've been doing this for a long time. I don't hear people pray like this. And I, I haven't prayed like this aloud very often. But our prayers are often like, we, we meditate on those things like they're going to be their own sermons. Because we're so concerned about how everybody else around us is going to hear it. But this is just gut level honesty. I'm restless in my complaint and I moan. My heart is in anguish within me. Tears of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. This isn't just like old language. This is honesty. Allender says this, Daily life tends to shield us from our real helplessness to the extent that it preserves our illusion of power and control. So, if, if our attempts to not feel these things, or at least not acknowledge that we're feeling this, you have to realize at that point is you're, you're attempting to not live in reality. Because reality says you feel a certain way, even if it's anxious, or ashamed, or scared. You're not living in reality if you're not 
crying out to God about how you really feel. You're living in some other realm, but it's not reality. So acknowledge your real helplessness. It's okay. Sam Poteet shared this from the front. This is the essence of Christianity. Jesus Christ came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. The refusal to be real with your emotions is a refusal to be real with Jesus. The refusal to admit your sickness is the refusal of a savior. That's what that means. He came to heal. But he can't heal what we're not honest about, especially with ourselves. I preached a sermon a bit ago, and somewhere in there, I don't remember the the exact point, I mentioned something about grumbling, and I was making a comment about how you go to the coffee shop and, you know, People are incredible at grumbling, myself included, but I was just taking note of a, a conversation somebody had, and I, and I was trying to, in this sermon, talk about gratitude, and someone came up to me trying to encourage me and said, you know, someone I know, uh, I'm, I know I'm being really vague about all these things, but trying to protect the innocent or, or guilty, however you want to look at this, um, they were saying, this person heard your sermon and they were about to grumble about something and then they thought, oh no, Eric said don't grumble. And I was like, man, I think they missed what I was trying to say. Uh, that wasn't exactly what I was trying to say because that's kind of more like the behavior management thing. Because here's what I'm trying to say. When you're honest about how you really feel, it reveals where your heart really is. And until you get to that point, you're not being really honest with God or anyone else around you. In fact, you don't even really know yourself. You're not even being real. Until you, the better step would be to say, I'm grumbling, I'm tempted to grumble. Go ahead and say it out loud and then figure out what's going on. What do I, what does this reveal about what I believe and what I value? And now you're starting to do heart work. Now you're starting to do a deeper, the sin beneath the sin. Okay, yeah, grumbling can be a sin, but what's beneath that? What's this revealing about where that person's coming from? We can't just manage our behavior. One of the things that my teacher said, I'm taking some classes in counseling and psychological services, and she used this phrase that I I thought was really helpful. She talked about how we need to turn up the volume of our inner voice every once in a while. Maybe for some of you that means just journaling. You just, you you write some of these thoughts out when you have certain feelings and, and that's a safer place. But I would encourage that at least and even more so, talk about this with people. Get people around you who are safe and turn the volume up. And, and really get those thoughts out there. Don't let them just be thoughts. Because sometimes, just by naming something, it loses its power. Sometimes what I'm anxious about, it starts to stack up. And I start to hyperventilate in a sense. And then I start to write them down or talk them out loud. And then I kind of see some of these things are fairly irrational. 
It's not as simple as this, but that's at least a step in the right direction. So, feel your fear. Secondly, struggle with worry. Picking up at verse 6, Psalm 55 again. David says, And I say, Oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go round on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. It's interesting to notice David's imagery here. He talks about being like a dove. If he had wings like a dove, he'd fly away. So this is what's really important to understand about fear and anxiety. It causes us to flee in a direction. Okay? And, he, and David's starting to work within himself. He's working this out. He's describing it. He's doing the heart work. Once you acknowledge that you are, in fact, afraid, you can even put this on a spectrum. Is this a nervousness? Is it just worry? Is it anxiety? Are you terrified? Are you horrified? Once you start to say these things aloud and be honest with where you're coming from, now you can start to wrestle with it. And you can begin to diagnose your heart and trace back where the source of this fear is coming from. So, one, one thing I've actually done, and, and sometimes I, I had hesitation with this, but I don't think this is unchristian in the least. And it has physiological components that helps you out. One thing you can do if you're feeling anxious, there are actual breathing exercises. Okay? And I'll give you a real practical tip. And, and this is what Kurt Thompson talks about in the Anatomy of the Soul. And if you do this for six weeks, he's the neuroscientist. He says it actually changed the neurochemistry of your brain. It's a breathing exercise. You breathe in for five seconds through your nose. You hold it for 20 seconds. Then you breathe out for 10 seconds through your mouth. If you do that for about five to seven minutes for six weeks straight, you will change the neurochemistry of your brain. You'll get clarity of mind because oxygen flows to the brain and it calms you down. Your heart, your body is so interconnected. You will literally calm down and you'll get clarity of mind. And there's nothing sinful about that. God's made you and inhabited you in a physical body. And he, he called the body good. And it's completely normal and, and healthy to do. Um, I'm going to move ahead here. As David considered his fear more, he reveals that part of what is causing his terror, his moaning, his anguish, is that he's been betrayed by a close friend. He has to face this, and it doesn't mean that the pain goes away. So he's tracing these things and, and getting greater clarity and understanding about what it is that he fears. This is what Allender says, Fear faced is a heart exposed. The stronger the fear, the greater the clarity regarding the object of our fear. I think this is really helpful. How strong is this fear? Is this something that keeps you up at night? Is it something that... Is, are you so fixated on a particular person that you don't even want to talk to that person? What does that reveal about your beliefs 
about that person, about how your relationship is vertically with God. There's all sorts of questions that you can ask to diagnose yourself when you start to slow down and, and consider the object of your fear and the strength of that fear. I'm going to move ahead to, to the third point here. So feel your fear, struggle with worry, remember God's power and presence. Remember God's power and presence. Again, Psalm 55, picking up at verse 16. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage. For many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God. Verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. So to fear God, again, this is Allender, to fear God is to know that a moment of existence without him is hell. To fear God is to know that a moment of existence without him is hell. Earlier I mentioned our tendency to manage our behavior. The idea of, of us wanting to say to ourselves if we're starting to feel something or, or do something we think is wrong to sort of just say stop it. And, and you, we might know this better when you think about other people, you know. You ever had that conversation where you kind of are, you, you love the person, but you also are starting to talk with another friend about this person and you start to both agree upon some sort of behavior and, and you both kind of just, the way you kind of come to the conclusion is, I just wish they'd stop it. <laughs> like, why don't they just stop doing this or that? Maybe it's something that's destructive in their lives. But we know it's never that easy. We know that that's sort of foolish if we back up for a second. Um, and and some, of you, so some of you might be thinking, but isn't this what the Bible says, right? Isn't this what the Bible says, do not fear? Over and over again, God tells his people, do not fear. And he does. Philippians 4, do not be anxious. You're right. He says these things. But like I said before, we read these statements out of context and with our 21st century lenses. Okay? Around 30 times the phrase, do not fear, appears in the Bible. But it nearly always is it accompanied with a promise. So listen to this. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Deuteronomy 31.6. So there's a statement, do not fear. But if you take that out of context, you're totally misunderstanding it. He's saying, I will be with you. That totally changes the way the statement is made, right? Not... You guys with me? Yes. yes, it does. Do not fear the king of Babylon, of whom you are afraid. Do not fear him, declares the Lord. For I am with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. Jeremiah 42, 11. There it is again. Or Philippians 4, one we're all familiar with. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Philippians 4, 5 through 6. So on the front end, you get it. The Lord is at hand. 
So I was trying to think of a way to illustrate this, to, to try and help, because we come back around full circle, Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. How does that work? So I'm supposed to fear God, and there's something good and intrinsically Christian about that. But how does that work? So I've got two illustrations. One I'm going to show a clip for, and the, the, the other one is just something I thought of when I thought about parenting. So I'm going to use the, the parenting one first. Do you mind sliding that over? Awesome. Okay, so I know you're excited to see a T-Rex chasing a woman. We'll get there. Maybe you're not excited about that. I'm always excited about this. Um, but... uh. So, here, here's the first illustration. If, if my kids are in a, a house that's burning down, okay, right, and they're terrified of what's going on, and I run into the room, and my first statement to them is, don't be afraid. I'm here. They're not going to feel chastised for that, right? How are they going to feel? You can say it. Safe, comforted. That's the, that's the nature, I think, of what's going on in these verses. But I think what we do oftentimes with our 21st century lens is we chastise ourselves with statements about do not, be, do not be afraid or do not fear or do not be anxious. We, we, we get it twisted and try to manage our behavior. But what God is saying is, I'm here. It's okay. Cast your cares on me. And here's, here's another illustration that I'm about to show. I, don't, I wish that the sound could come through. So some of you might just have to, you know, make those sounds up in your mind uh, to make this as engaging as it could be. Um, but you're going to get the point across. Just, just for a quick context for the clip. So she's getting chased by a T-Rex because she's on Skull Island. That's scary. This is Peter Jackson's version of King Kong. And she's already met Kong, and Kong is taking taken a liking to her because that's what massive gorilla apes do is like blonde women for some reason. And and so he he's got this interest in her. You know, if you watch the whole thing, it's not as weird as it sounds right now. And and so she's running away from T Rex. Now here's what I want you to think. You're the woman in this analogy, man or man or girl. You're you're her. Okay, think about this. King Kong is God, okay? The T-Rex is your anxiety. The T-Rex is the world's fears. And they're haunting you. They're chasing you down. So, observe from there.
all sorts of wrong directions you could go with this, <laughs> but think about it for a moment. That is, you don't walk up on King Kong. King Kong comes, he could squash her like a bug. He could just destroy her. She looks at the T-Rex, she looks at Kong, he's not safe, he's the king, but he's good. And he's for her. And she knows that. So she has a choice. I'm going to deal with T-Rex. And, and I, can, I can try to manage this on my own. Or I can back up in awe of his power and his supremeness and be safe because of his love and care for her. And... I, I, I like to play it all out because that's what God does to our anxiety. He's the king. He is able to take that on. He destroys this T-Rex. I like to play it all the way through. He crushes the jaw. Because when I visualize that, that's what God does to your fears and your anxieties. At one point in the film... He actually grabs her, and there's T-Rexes coming from all angles, and he keeps her in the palm of his hand, and they're trying to chomp at her and everything, and he keeps her safe the whole time. So when, you're, when you feel your fear, and you're honest about that with God, when you struggle with your worry, when you remember His power and His presence, you're not, your life isn't promised to be safe and rosy and clear of of no disappointments, but he sees you and he loves you and he can walk through life with you in all of it. And he is the king and he is good. And that was ultimately proved on the cross. And there's an eternal security and love because of Jesus Christ and his death. And that's what, what I want you guys to walk away with, that image it's not going to solve all your anxieties in one moment. There is wrestling that has to occur. There's practical things. We didn't even talk about diet, sleep, exercise, all of that. We talked about a breathing exercise. But there's tons of practical things that help as well. But there's no magic pill that makes it go away. He's calling you up into a story, into a drama, and he's calling you to cast your cares on him because he's good and he loves you. I'll pray, and if anyone wants to stick around and ask questions, feel free. Father, I just pray that we'd believe that. Lord, I don't know how else to make sense of not fearing those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. The only reason that's good news is because we know you love us. There's a steadfast love. You are powerful and do you can do whatever you want. But because of Jesus Christ and his death, you have secured salvation for those of us who trust in you. And therefore, you're good. 
and, and your steadfast love and your mercy follow us all the days of our lives. Help us to believe that and, and in response, be anxious to give our, our worries and our fears over to you. I pray we do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at newyearsconference.com.